Clovercrest Media Group presents a CMG podcast. Keys to the city. Keys to the city, baby. When you see us, so you know. I crossed up by Kobe. Well, floated Shaq, and then Shaq goes like this, and the rest is history. Pay attention. Don't tell me what to do, devil woman. Speaking of those Lakers, but I, but I hold on, fun. But I didn't make. I didn't make. I said Denver's gonna win. Yeah, you did. You said that. There's no other show like that. Clovercrest is doing great things right now. Streaming everywhere. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Drawing About the G-Man, the Giants football podcast. I'm your host, as always, Big Jace, joined by my man Joe Aguirre and Sean Scanlon. And there's not a lot of Giants news right now, but we will get we will talk a little bit giant a little bit of the Giants uh, at the end of the show. But let's focus more on the league itself. We obviously had the biggest game in, in all football, Super Bowl fifty-five. On Sunday, Joe, you and I picked the Bucks to win it. We were right, and uh, I mean, none. Of, we both didn't expect the outcome that we did. But what was the key factor that the Bucks used to dominate the Chiefs all all four quarters? You, you look, uh, you know, give Pat Mahomes a lot of credit, and I mean, here's here's where I get a little. I feel like there's a lot of excuses. Things like, uh, you know, he ran for like 400 yards behind the line of scrimmage, and I mean, that what did that get them? I mean, it got them nothing. And some of those throws that he made, I mean, one of them hit a wide receiver's hands in the end zone. The guy was out of bounds, and he had, and he thought that guy was going to catch that was was ludicrous. D- the fact that this guy can throw the ball near a receiver on the run. That's great, but I mean, last year during their run, he did some cool things. This time, it didn't pan out, and I, it, overall, it was the 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 Tampa defense just had such pressure on Pat Mahomes. It was overwhelming at times. He was constantly being chased down. Again, great athleticism, and you could see why the Chiefs are going to be a really good team for a really long time. But at the end of the day, I, I think losing the right and left tackle, Fisher obviously being uh I mean that was that was huge. Uh Jason Pierre Paul had quite a night. I think it should be noted Jason Pierre Paul was not double teamed on any play. <laughs> they also had I mean the Bucks had the Super Bowl record for most pressures in a Super Bowl. Uh, I believe that. Well, you know, but here's the thing going in, I, I saw a stat. We we did it on Keys to the City where um, uh, he was so far ahead of every other quarterback Mahomes was. And even so, Mahomes under pressure QBR rating was still higher than anybody else in the league. But it just goes to show, and this is why I, I picked the Bucs. Uh, again, I, I mean, once the, once the Chiefs 
lost uh, Eric Fisher, it was all but done for me. I mean, I I I knew very well it was going to be really tough for Kansas City to protect him. Again, I wasn't expecting a beatdown like this. I definitely thought the score would be closer, but there was really nothing Kansas City could do to to get on track. The, my you know my bold prediction was that Tariq Hill would get absolutely shut down. And I realize he finished seven catches for 73 yards, but, I mean, he had three catches in the first half as this game was slowly but surely getting away from the Chiefs. Uh, they did an amazing job keeping him from doing any real damage. They really never got anything going with the run. Um, you, you know, there, there, was a, there was a lot not to like about the way Kansas City played, but I think it had as much, like I said, and I said all week, this is the best defense Kansas City faced especially on on their run through the postseason they they you know again what what they did against Cleveland made Cleveland you know obviously not being near as good a team uh the Bills in their one-dimensional attack so you know the Chiefs you know pretty much coasted the last three four weeks of the season got to the postseason matched up really well with two teams that were uh, not not really the 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 best selves that they could be, and you know, look what the Bucks did on the road, and and it be awarded with a home win, a home game. <laughs> couldn't couldn't write a better script, and and you know, Sean, I I said this all week, and it bears repeating. Until he retires, I'm not betting against Tom Brady in a big game ever. Well, yeah, I made that mistake uh, last week going into the Super Bowl, um, but I mean, I think. Someone who deserves a lot of credit for this win is obviously we talked about the Bucks defense, but Todd Bowles, um, just the plan he put in place. Um, Jace had mentioned, you know, they they had the most amount of pressures in any Super Bowl, and they were only doing that with four rushers. Um, you know, they they had seven in the secondary. They were playing coverage all game. You know, obviously they had the two safeties over the top to take away the big play. So Todd Bowles' plan going into this game was tremendous. Um, he obviously knew that he could take advantage of the tackles being out with Eric Fisher and obviously Mitchell Schwartz on the other side. And he trusted his guys in, in JPP and Shaq Barrett. And obviously, um, you know, it, it ended up with a Super Bowl uh, ring for those guys in, in dominant fashion. Um, I, you know, obviously all the hype going into the game, you know, you got the, the goat versus the baby goat. And there's just so much hype that you obviously think that it's going to come down to whoever gets the ball last. But, I mean, the Bucks deserve a lot of credit. They did it in dominant fashion. And, um, you know, not just the defense, but offensively, they uh, Brady was super efficient in that first half. He didn't have to do much in the second half because, um, you know, they're, they obviously had that big lead and they were just running the ball. But um, just all aspects, you know, obviously um, the offensive line was great. Um, Tristan Wirfs, their first-round pick, uh, was probably yeah. – you know, uh, Makai Becton had a great year as well, but I, I think that he was probably the best offensive lineman in the class, at, at least after the rookie year, um, and, and he proved that. So I, I think that, you know, this team is, uh, you know, they show that they're definitely a force to be reckoned with, and they got hot at the right time. Um, you know, obviously a little shaky start to the season, but that's what it's all about when you, when you go to win a Super Bowl. It's, you know, can you be playing your best ball in January and into February in the Super Bowl, and, uh, and the Bucks did that. But, uh, and yeah, in terms of, you know, Patrick Mahomes, he didn't get much help. He obviously had the, the drop balls. And, um, you know, I, I knew the tackle – I knew Eric Fisher being out was, you know, going to be a big problem, but I didn't think it would be that big of a problem. Uh, I, I just believed in Patty Mahomes' ability, you know, to scramble out of the pocket and uh, his ability to make plays downfield. But um, the, the Bucks front seven was just too dominant. Uh, they dominated all night, and they, they got a, a very well-deserved uh, Super Bowl win here. Yeah, and, I mean, Patrick Mahomes – 
He did have that turf toe getting uh, surgery on it, I believe, yesterday. So he was compromised there. But, I mean, coming out of this game, the big question, the big storyline is touchdown Tom, Tom Brady. Tom Brady this year in Tampa, he had more – he had the most touchdowns, passing touchdowns he's had since 2007. He had the most yards he's had um, since 2000 and fifteen. So, I mean, everything's been going up. He, he did great. It shows that really, like, everyone – if you were a Belichick guy and you said the Patriots' success was all around Belichick, it wasn't. It, it was Tom Brady. And obviously you see it, people talking about him possibly retiring. People talking about last year might be in his last season in the NFL. He comes to the Bucks, finally gets weapons around him, has a great season, goes on, destroys the, the preliminary favorite all season, the Kansas City Chiefs. In the Super Bowl, my question to you, Joe, is: Is Tom Brady the definitive goat? Is he the goat of goats in all of sports? Well, I don't know about in all of sports, but I, you know, again, I'm a guy who grew up watching Lawrence Taylor change football forever. Um, you could make the same argument about, you know, Stephen Curry and uh, or Stephen Curry, whatever the hell his name is uh, in the NBA, guys who changed the game completely. You know, and football was was changing, too, at the time when Tom Brady came along. And it worked out really well for New England. I don't necessarily buy into Brady winning the Super Bowl as Brady wins the Belichick-Brady battle. Because, again, at the end of the day, the Patriots are going to be fine. They're going to reload and they'll be back because Bill Belichick's a great coach. This idea that Brady couldn't do it without him, well, that was something Brady needed to prove. I don't know, Bill, what does Bill give a crap? Bill still has more Super Bowls. So at the end of the day, he's still got eight rings to Tom's seven. So, I mean, it, it really doesn't make a difference. Bill Belichick, I think, could have done it with any quarterback. I really do. You know, no offense to Tom Brady. He is definitely the greatest. I don't know. Again, I can't. I don't like to play that game, Jace, the the greatest of all time. I mean, is he the greatest champion in the history of sports? Well, no. Uh, you know, Bill Russell, Yogi Berra, there's there's guys that have that have been better winners. He's the greatest to play his position in any sport. I would say that. There's there's never been a great I mean, Michael Jordan, you know, greatest shooting guard of all time. I mean, I, I'd prefer to do it that way. How could you compare what what Walt Chamberlain did to uh, Walt Chamberlain to uh, to what Michael Jordan did? Apples and oranges, different different generation, different sport, really. If you think about it, so great greatest quarterback in the history of the game, uh, probably the greatest quarterback uh, in in the history of the sport. And again, I watched Terry Bradshaw, I watched Joe Montana. I watched Steve Young. You pick a guy, Brett Favre, John. I watched their whole careers. And Tom Brady, and again, you know, this is funny too, not to completely side note it here, but you talked about, well, he finally got some weapons around him. And yet on all four downs, you generally were critical of Mac Jones for having weapons around him. 
So I, I don't know. I mean, again, it's like some guys get rewarded for it. Some guys deserve it. Some guy, well, he's only good because of it. I mean, let, let's be honest. Look around the NFL. You're only as good as the talent that is on your team. If you don't have receivers to throw the ball to, I don't care who you are. You're not gonna. You're not gonna be a good quarterback. You can't be. There's nobody around to throw the ball to. So it's important that all of these guys. You know, Carson Wentz is another guy who's going to be on the move soon. Where does Carson Wentz end up? If it's in Indianapolis, you're going to see a great Carson Wentz next season. If it's in Chicago, yikes! You're going to get more of what you got in Philly. So. You know, we talk about this all the time. Pat Mahomes being in Kansas City is an amazing blessing. Yep. That was a great situation for him to walk into. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other quarterbacks who would have been successful walking into that situation. Again, his athleticism separates him from everybody else, but there's a lot of guys that could do well if they were on the Chiefs right now. So, I don't know. Again, the to to play who's the I, I don't know I don't I, I don't like that game. I, I, you, I get you know where you're me. coming from, Joe. And I mean, the only thing for 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 me, the the it, it was the whole Belichick Brady thing. Like you couldn't have one without the other. That's what kept it for me. And the reason why I bring this up is because Brady did what he had to do. He did what only LeBron James, uh, Peyton Manning. Win a Super Bowl with your team, then go to another team once that team doesn't think you, you still got it, and win with another team. And not that many people have done that. Would uh, Sean, what do you think of Brady's legacy after this year and after this Super Bowl? I mean, yeah, I, even going into the game, I, I thought you know he was the the greatest of all time. I I think that he definitely has easily the greatest career out of any NFL player of all time. Um, but I mean, like Joe was saying, I think Lawrence Taylor is still the greatest player of all time, um, just in terms of pure talent and obviously just the way he changed the game. Um, you know, he completely changed the outlook of the game. He he made left tackles uh, get paid so much. You know that that's the reason because that he instilled yeah. fear into every opposing offense he faced. So I think he, he's still the best player of all time. But Brady definitely has the greatest career of all time out of any NFL player. I mean, to go to ten Super Bowls in twenty years. I mean, every other year you're going to the Super Bowl in your career. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, when, when you think, when you really sit back and think about it, it's, it's crazy. Obviously we take it for granted because, you know, we've just been watching it for the past 20 years, but I mean, to, to really, you know, you really got to sit back and appreciate that greatness sometimes. Um, in terms of the goats of all goats, I, I think obviously, uh, I think it is an apples to oranges comparison because it's different sports, but I, I think Michael Jordan is still the best. Obviously he's got the perfect record in the finals. Um, and, you know, if he doesn't leave to go play baseball for those two years, I think he has eight NBA finals. I don't think the, those Houston Rocket teams would beat him. So I, I think that Michael Jordan's legacy is still um, up there. But obviously, Tom Brady, I mean, he's he's right up there with him. He, he's definitely, you know, top three, um, if not the number one. So I think that I, obviously, you know, it. We I don't I didn't grow up growing up in New England. I didn't love Tom Brady, obviously, going against him in the Super Bowls. Um, I, I, I had a lot of hate for him, but. When he went to Tampa Bay this year, I don't know. I just kind of – I didn't hate him as much. I, I kind of, you know, sat back and was like, wow, he, he really, you know, obviously has a great career. And uh, so, I mean, a lot, a lot of respect for, for Tom Brady and what he's done. But it's it's definitely been uh, tremendous to watch. So, sometimes when people ask me who the greatest athlete of all time is or the greatest athletic performance of all time, I like to point out what Jesse Owens did in 1936 in Berlin, Germany, in front of Adolf Hitler – 
um, running on mismatched shoes. So, again, when you, you know, consider, you know, the, the some of the great feats, you know, Joe Lewis and, and Max Schmeling, there's, there's been, you know, there's been some really monumental sports wins. Yeah, and so, Jackie, again, Jackie Robinson and Hank Aaron, too, I think. Sure, yeah. you know, I mean, so, again, for me, I, I like to go generation by generation and, and, and again, sort of position by position, you know, you can you can decide who the best person was at every position. I think it's an easier game to play than trying to figure. I mean, again, how do you compare LT to Tom Brady? LT no, won right. two Super Bowls. Brady won seven. But again, when you look at you look at Brady doesn't win the Super Bowl if LT didn't exist. You're not wrong. You know what I mean? So again, when Brady when you, might not even exist if LT didn't exist. Uh, fair enough, too. You know, so again, it, it it's hard to say, but as far as the greatest quarterback of all time, I mean, let's let's cut the crap with the Montana and the Bradshaw. I mean, again, I, I watched them play and they were great. Not like this guy. And and to boot in the salary cap era. Yeah. Which is meant to prevent dynasties and teams from ruling, and they did it despite that. And with really, other than the, the Randy Moss season, without any big time receivers. Yeah. Deion Branch isn't a big time receiver. I'll argue anybody oh, that brings up that name. Dude, listen, again, I mean, great slot receivers, and, and maybe those guys were, you know, again, I think being white wide receivers, let's just be honest. Get a little underrated. You can have 120, 130 catches a year, and somehow you get dismissed as not being like an elite receiver. I don't know why that is, but that's that's the that's the parameters I'm working with here, Jace. You know what I mean? I don't no. have any say in the matter. I don't get to decide it. But <laughs> yeah, I remember last year, me and uh Sean went back and forth on Thielen or Diggs, who's the number one wide receiver on the Vikings. So I, I get what you're coming from. Well, yeah, I get what you're saying. D- Diggs was the better receiver, though. <laughs> I, I think he proved that this year. But, no, I I think you bring up a good point. If you look at, like, Cole Beasley in Buffalo, he's one of the best route runners in the league. I, I, there's nobody that can cover him. I, and he made the second team all pro this year. So, I think just, yeah, receivers like him that, you know, don't get a lot of credit. But, obviously, there's there's no one that could guard them in the league. It seems if you don't run your mouth a lot and say you're the best receiver, you don't get considered for it. You're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and thanks to T.O., Chad Ochocinco, in that era. But uh, yeah. <laughs> you you have to say you're the best receiver for people to be like, oh, is he the best receiver in my top three? Well, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe. That's what happens. These guys put themselves in contention for it. I mean, there was, listen, there was talk that Odell Beckham was the best wide receiver in football. No he one was, based that on... I understand, but we're not basing that on his stats. There's not like a, a season where you're like, look what he did that year. You don't even have that with Beckham. Yes, yes, you, you do. You you don't. You don't because uh, there's, yes, there's you. Missed, dude, there's missed games in all of those seasons. Not the first three. Yes. No, no, there's not. The, the first, all right. Well, I'll look first, him up right rookie, now. His rookie Ready? year, he missed the first four games, and the next two seasons, he didn't miss a game after that. He played 12 games his rookie season, and he, and he shattered records. If he played all 16, he would have shattered Justin Jefferson's rookie record from this year. That's the so, only one. All right, ready? 91 catches, 1,305 yards, 12 touchdowns. And 96, 12 games. 
Sure, sure. And then in and then in 15 games, 96, 14, 50, 13 touchdowns, 101, 13, 67, and 10. Those are absurd numbers. Those are those are those are solid. Those are solid uh wide receiver one numbers right there. He has solid. he has the best are, he has the best uh start he has the best three years to start his career out of any NFL receiver ever. You can look at you could put it up against Randy Moss, Megatron, Antonio Brown, any of those guys. He, he has better numbers in his first three years. It's, sure. it's after and then, that. It's it all ended in the Chargers game in his fourth year. After that injury, he hasn't been the same since. Yes, correct. I mean, but even still, his last year with the Giants, a thousand, a thousand fifty-two yards, seventy-seven catches, six touchdowns. Yeah, his, his said, first he, year, he right? Again, but 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 those are pedestrian numbers compared to the other elite guys. I, yeah, I mean, after the after the injury, I, guys, guys are, but I'm saying there's guys making 120, 130 catches a year now, 101, 91. That's that's solid. That's great. But again, that's not like whoa. It's not blowing me out of the water. And the obviously leveled off. I don't think reception number is the the biggest telling. Uh, I don't think it's the biggest telling statistic for uh, receivers. Though I think it's receiving yards and how many touchdowns and you know receiving yards right. per game and stuff like that. that. But, uh, that's my point. Again, is 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 usually you have to have the numbers, but then some guys don't have to have the numbers. We still talk about Beckham and whether he's one of the best receivers in football when he gets back from injury. We'll we'll see if he can be the best. But again, based on what what he did six years ago. That, yeah, see, I think that argument is fair. I, I think that sure, yeah, right, because... Sean. Fair enough. Look, the, the first three years were great. He's leveled off, but he's still in the conversation. And I say, my question is, why put up any Wes Welker season to to any of Beckham seasons? You you take Welker's three best and you put him up against Beckham's three best. Who's the better receiver? It's still Beckham, right? We say that based on raw talent, but. How do you judge a wide receiver on raw talent or on the numbers that he puts up? I I think it's a I think it's a mixture of both. I I think it's what you see with your eyes, and then obviously to to back it up, you could have some of those statistics. But I I get your point. Now I don't think Odell is even near the top ten right now in terms of receivers. So I I, I was just talking about when he first came into the league. I, I think that he was up there with the elites like the the Julios and the Antonio Browns at the time. But I, I totally get your point. Now I, I wouldn't put him anywhere near the top ten just because you know he hasn't proven it since then, and obviously he hasn't stayed healthy. And, you know, really, aside from the Cowboys game earlier this season before he got hurt, he hasn't had performances like we saw earlier in his career. So I, I think that's – yeah, that's a fair argument. Yeah, I mean, I, I like how we went from the Super Bowl talking about wide receivers. I like that. But, I mean, plain and simple, from the Super Bowl to wrap things up, if you were one of those Belichick-led Brady, the, the, the you got to nip that in the bud – Brady deserves to be in the conversation for GOAT, whether it's GOAT of GOATs, GOAT QB, GOAT of football, whatever GOAT, the GOAT that gets to the best milk or whatever. But uh, <laughs> but uh, let, let's move on, talk a little bit around the league, about some news around the league. Starting off, the big QB on the trade block, Deshaun Watson, where will he end up? I know we talked a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago about the Giants possibly making a deal for him. Joe, where do you think is the most realistic spot for Deshaun Watson to end up? I mean, I'd love to see him end up with the Colts, but I mean, I think that seemingly would will not happen. 
there there doesn't I mean why would Houston why would they do something that stupid? So that 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 puts the Jets in play or potentially the Chicago Bears. And I'll be honest, if I say I'd stay in Houston if those were the options that I was looking at, you know, um to me, Indianapolis is the most desirable place. I'm now hearing Carson Wentz name being connected to the yeah. Colts. So, again, you know, I, I would hate to see Deshaun Watson end up on the Jets or on the Bears. Maybe the Niners. I don't know if the Niners are willing to pony up. I'm not even sure, you know, what their draft stock looks like. But to me, that might be a good place for him. Although, I don't necessarily love the receivers there. And I'm I'm not sure that that that's going to be a good, I don't know that that again, I don't know that that improves his situation any. Yeah. And I mean, if you saw, I mean, look at what Matt Stafford went for Deshaun Watson's had access to go for at least that, if not like double. So, so Sean, where do you think Deshaun would end up? I think the most realistic spot is the Jets because, um, you know, he he expressed interest in there. He says he likes Robert Sala a lot, you know, their new head coach. And obviously the Jets, I think if there's any teams that could put a package together, uh, like you said, it, it's going to take a whole heck, heck of a lot. I think it's going to take multiple first-round picks and maybe, you know, some other good pieces, uh, some good starters on your team. So I think the Jets are one of the few teams that actually could put a package together, and it seems like Deshaun Watson would be willing to play there. So I, I think that's probably the most likely spot. But um, uh, some other teams that I, I think would make sense is um, I don't know if they have enough to go out and get him. But I, I think one team that's not getting talked about is maybe the Washington football team. Uh, I would hate to see him in our division. But they have – I think that they're building at least the right pieces to get there. They have the defense already. I, I think that they're, they're really an elite QB away from being a good team. Obviously, they don't have the best skill players. But the, Terry McLaurin is a really good young receiver. Uh, Antonio Gibson showed that he, he could be a really good young running back in the in this league, and their offensive line isn't that bad either. So I think that's one team that doesn't get talked about enough. I think the Broncos are another team. Um, I think that they have a good defense and, and a good defensive-minded head coach, and they have a lot of weapons there with, you know, the running back stable is really good with Melvin Gordon, Phillip Lindsay. Um, they have Cortland Sutton coming back from injury on top of, you know, Jerry Judy and their tight end. So there, there's definitely some spots that I could use them, but I um, – Unfortunately, I think the if he does end up getting traded because I know the Texans are trying to keep him there. They're trying to you know get him on board with the system as, as much as they can with the new regime in there. Um, un, unfortunately, I think the most spot would be him coming to New York for the Jets, which I would hate to see because uh, the Jets are a trash organization. But uh, uh, I think that's uh, I think that's the most likely spot though. I mean, going from one bad organization to another. From Houston to the Jet uh, to the Jets will be rough, and I mean the Jets have that with the two first round picks this year. Uh, maybe shipping one of those over. Um, also, the Jags and Dolphins also have two first round picks just this year alone. I, I think the Dolphins are a very very good shot at putting a deal together. Maybe sending a young guy like Tua a draft one one of those uh, first round draft picks. Maybe another young uh, guy, a, a young developing guy. Um, I, and I think the, the Dolphins could make a deal done. I mean, they've already showed how hesitant they are on Tua. I mean, with Brian Flores, I mean, benching him in uh, uh, Denver, uh, benching him multiple times uh, later in the season, uh, putting Ryan Fitzpatrick in. 
So I, I, I do like that move. A guy you know is going to come in and be number one when you're struggling to ha- figure out if your rookie is number one. To me, Jacksonville is makes so much sense. It, it does, but like, w- would you go after him and give up Trevor Lawrence, though? Yes. Yes, I would. I, and I would because he's had success in the NFL. And you, you don't know that, that Trevor Lawrence is going to. You can assume that. We assume yeah. that about a lot of guys. We assume that about, I mean, who thought Dwayne Haskins was going to be in a dumpster in, in his third year? Anybody think that? Anybody see that coming? Yeah, yeah. Nobody, nobody saw that. I mean, you don't have to think he was going to be a superstar, but did you think he would be like on the scrap heap at this point? No, of course not. So they've got the collateral. They've got the weapons on offense in Jacksonville to, you know, give him some targets. That's definitely not an issue for Jacksonville. They've got weapons. What they could do with those draft picks to build up that defense and that offensive line around Watson with all those guys to throw to, that would be, I mean, again, I think that really would be one of those traits that could definitely help both teams out. And Urban Meyer has talked about wanting to come in and make a splash and make moves and be aggressive. So there's the only thing there is, I mean, trade in someone like Deshaun Watson inside the division. That's the only red flag there. Well, I like it a lot. But that's the only question mark that that brings up. I, yeah, I think the only other reason too is that you know when you're if you're trading away the number one pick, you're trading away Trevor Lawrence's rookie contract, which is if you're trying to win now, I think that's the most important thing is to have a QB on his rookie contract still because you can build all the other pieces around it. So I I think you have a great point of obviously you know what Deshaun Watson is already. Um, he, he's already a proven commodity in this league that you know that he could be. Uh, easily a top 10, maybe even a top five quarterback in this league. So I think that's a good point. But I think that the biggest thing is um, teams want to build around a QB on a rookie contract just because you can go and spend in other areas such as, you know, uh, you know, some weapons to throw to or, you know, some good players on the defense. So I think that's the biggest reason that Jacksonville wouldn't do that because I think that control of the the rookie uh, contract is huge, especially for the QB. Again, though, I mean, look at how many guys are on rookie contracts right now most of them the teams aren't looking to extend I mean again look at the carousel you have in the NFL right now this is a proven commodity in a weak division for the most part every team in that division's got serious flaws so if you're serious about turning it around now certainly You'd be setting Jacksonville up for a long time, too, potentially. But if you're talking in terms of what team has the collateral that you're looking to get back, Jacksonville's a that's a big winner for me. I mean, you could probably even pull something else out of them uh, in terms of, of player even. So, again, I, I mean, it stinks for them that that it's it's all division foes. I like the Washington idea, Sean, I'll be honest. Yeah, um, you know that that especially with with that defense and some of the talented guys uh, that they have in Washington. Uh, you know, I, I tell you what, when you blow a first round pick, if you could if you could get this guy, I mean, it's like especially having won the division, made the playoffs this year, it'd be like, oh, everything worked out great in Washington. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and their, yeah. their defense was so dominant. I just think you know to have a quarterback like that. I mean, they 
they could have had a realistic shot to even beat the Bucks in that that first round if they had a QB like that. I mean, obviously Tyler Taylor Heineke, you know, played well, but I think they if they had an actual QB there with how well their defense played and is going to continue to get better because it's a bunch of young guys. I I just think that would make a lot of sense for them. Yeah, and I mean, think about the success that Cam Newton had with Ron Rivera. Now Deshaun Watson, someone who could throw the ball a little better than Cam Newton. Yeah. Uh, that should be interesting. But, I mean, we, we talked a lot about draft picks and having to trade away draft picks to get Deshaun Watson. What is a team, Joe, that you can see this offseason making a move to go up in the draft and get get their guy, whoever that guy may be, just making the move, train some assets in the draft? Um, I've been hearing a lot about the Detroit Lions trying to move up to the one or two spot, uh, particularly that, that two spot, especially if the Jets do acquire Watson or somebody else. Um, obviously, giving up Matt Stafford, it, it's pretty clear that Jared Goff isn't their long-term solution there. You know, will they draft a quarterback this year? Will they wait? You know, again, if they move up, if there's somebody that they really want, whether that be Justin Fields or – um. Oh, what's the other fella? Oh, gosh. The kid from South Dakota State. No, no. Trey Lance. Trey Lance. Lance. Yeah. I mean, again, Trey Lance right now is is gaining a ton of steam on all the draft boards. He's sailing up there. I think Mel Kuyper's new list has four quarterbacks in the first four spots right now. Yeah. Um, And again, I think so much of this is going to really play itself out in the next month or so as these quarterbacks end up where they're going to end up. You're going to really see who really needs a quarterback. And I I think, I think probably come March, I think you'll start to see a lot of the, the maneuvering. You'll start to hear a lot of the rumors. Um, I would assume most of these deals will be done on draft day. You know, I know teams like to wait till the very last second when somebody's about to get on the clock to start making phone calls. So it's going to be fun. It's going to be an NFL offseason, Sean, like we've never seen before. We do not see, we don't see this sort of thing. It's the first time. I mean, again, I've been watching football since the late 70s, never seen anything like this. I know so far, there's just a lot of talk. Even the talk is it never seen this much. And I think by the end, there's going to be a lot of teams next season with new quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, a lot is up in there. Sean, Sean who do you think needs to look to get a better draft pick? Um, I was thinking the New Orleans Saints. Um, obviously, you know, if you're going to move up to draft pick, it's usually for a QB. And um, the Saints, you know, a lot of people expected them to, you know, maybe draft a QB last year. Obviously, Drew Brees is getting old. There's reports that he might retire. Um, after the season. So I, and I don't think Jameis Winston is their long-term answer. Obviously I, I think he could be a good, you know, filler or maybe a gap here um, because, you know, he, he, he does have an explosive arm, but it's just obviously the turnovers. I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, a great offensive mind like Sean Payton would be wanting to do that. So I think that that's definitely a team that, you know, should be looking to do it because they should be in a win now mode with the, the defense that they have um, yeah. all the great players that they have in their offense, Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas are both, you know, two two of the great skill uh, players in our league right now, and I just feel like you know Drew Brees at the end of the at the end of his line has kind of held that team back a little bit. I think if they had a, a good QB in place there, that you know they could 
um, you know, be, I, I think that they should have had won a ring in the past couple of years. Um, so I think that them going out and getting a QB and obviously they have the 28th pick right now. So I don't think you're going to get your franchise QB at the bottom of the first round. Obviously sometimes you get lucky and it happens, but you know, if you want to go out and get your next franchise QB, you have to trade up to, you know, a top, at least a top 10 pick to get there. So I think that's a team that makes a lot of sense. They, they have a lot of the pieces there right now. But they, they need that QB to come and step in. And maybe a name like Justin Fields or, like we said, Zach Wilson or Trey Lance, maybe they believe in him a lot. or But maybe they believe in one of those players a lot and think that, you know, he could be that piece that they're missing to, to go win a Super Bowl. I think I was hearing, too, Matt Rule and Carolina are thinking about trying to move up to go get a quarterback. That's a team that, you know, lost a lot of close. I think they lost the most games by one score in the league this year. So. Yeah. Um, I think that's definitely a team that feels like they could do better with a better quarterback. Again, that might even be a team uh, potentially to get in on the the Sean Watson sweepstakes, but definitely a team I think that's going to be active and looking to get um, uh, a step up from Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, I I do agree with that. I like that. Well, I have two teams, one along the same similar vein as you, Sean, with with the Saints. I I think Steelers – you look past Ben Roethlisberger, you get rid of Ben Roethlisberger's out. You trade up, you, you get a guy like a Zach Wilson. I mean, even trading up to like that mid uh my, that mid uh round range and getting like a Mac Jones, I think that would even be solid for uh, the Steelers. But um, and, but another team really badly needs a quarterback. I, I think if you are the Patriots. He, I mean, I know they're they're known for being stingy and all, everything. You need to trade up, and I really like Trey Lance the way he fits in because I, I the the beginning of this season this year, everyone was talking about Cam Newton might be an MVP. Cam Newton was playing great, and then he got COVID, and then he everything fell fell apart. I, I think Bill Belichick liked a lot what what he was doing with Cam Newton and the mobility aspect that Cam brought to the table those first couple of games. So uh, I think a guy like Trey Lance, who is mobile like that and also takes care of the football, very accurate, played 18 games in the FCS season last year, did not throw a pick. He's very, very smart, very, very accurate. I think he could fill the role. Look what for what Belichick was wanting out of Cam Newton and go above and beyond and give Belichick that mobile quarterback that he wants. But, all right, no, and enough about the draft. Is Kim's a free agent, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I, I find it interesting. Um, I, only, I mean, I was pretty certain of that. I haven't heard anybody express any interest in Cam Newton at all. No. He's going to be a backup wherever he goes. That's a bummer for him. It is. Again, it's one of the, to me, It's that's a guy who had great success in the NFL earlier in his career. So, no, you know, yeah. again, when, when you ask the question, is Trevor Lawrence going to be great? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I have every reason to think he will be, but I've seen enough quarterbacks fail that when I hear people speak about it like it's a certainty, I'm like, maybe they spoke like that about Ryan Leaf and Jamarcus oh, Russell. Yeah. I've seen a lot. Jeff George was a number one overall pick. 
who was terrible almost his entire career. So again, if if you're if you're an NFL team, you I think you got to really be banking on you know I mean again when you're going to get a 25 year old superstar quarterback uh, available via trade in the prime of his career, never. Yeah, doesn't happen. Just doesn't happen. So, it, it, and anybody who isn't interested in Watson is nuts. Yeah, you, you you're right. I mean, teams need to be going after this this guy if they really want to compete. But I, I mentioned how COVID changed Cam Newton's whole season and how he was looked like a possible MVP candidate in the first couple of weeks. Got COVID. Everything got flipped, turned upside down. Um, and I'd like to. Take a minute, just sit right there, and I'll tell you how they gave me the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. But, um, no, actually, <laughs> <laughs> so with COVID, I mean, obviously, that, that messed up the whole offseason. We, we saw a little bit, especially us Giants fans, stunted development from guys like Daniel Jones. But what is a team or an individual that will benefit the most from having a normal offseason this year, Joe? Clearly the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm just joking. Um, I think the obvious answer would be a team like the New York football giants. Um, you know, I think that the, the giants, first of all, the giants finding out that Nate Solder was out, was opting out and that you were going to have to start Thomas at left tackle with no preseason with no games to speak of. That was rough. You know, and I understand other tackles did better than him and, 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 you know, whatever, whatever the case, I don't know that that means that they're going to be better than him next season and going forward. Maybe they will. Um, but I, I think if you're the giants, um, I think you'll definitely benefit from having a preseason from getting the reps in the giants were definitely one of the better teams in the second half. You got to get out of the gate better. And it's something that we've seen the Giants struggle with over the years, kind of getting off to a tough start and then coming on strong in the second half. I think this team, the way it's set up now, you know, and again, we'll see what they do in the offseason to strengthen it. But I think this team, this team needs to be four weeks in when when week one starts. You know what yeah. I mean? They they need to have played some games and gotten there and and you know, again, they'll they'll get a little beat up in the beginning. It seems like they always kind of do, but that's when they'll settle in. So I think it would make a huge difference for the Giants. All right. Yeah, I, I agree with that, especially Daniel Jones. I mean, a lot of people are like we want to see him take that next step. He did show a little bit of development by not by taking care of the football in the later half of the season. But now, if he can continue that, continue his success take care of the football, and make plays downfield and put some points up on the board. This, is a, this could be a whole different Giants team, and I think this offseason will benefit Daniel Jones greatly. Sean, who, who, who do you got? Uh, I'm going to go. I, I think the Giants is a great pick, but I'm going to go with the Chargers here. Um, I think with the, the brand-new head coach and Brandon Staley, um, I, I think it's going to do a lot for them. I think Anthony Lynn was just very bad with, with his, his – uh, his in-game decisions and, and you know his clock management and stuff like that. So I think with the first the first year head coach, it's going to help that you know he's going to have. Hopefully they're they're in there for training camp and more normal off season. And on top of that, Justin Herbert, um, uh, Joe's favorite. 
I, I think that, you know, he's, I think that he's going to even do better than he did in his rookie year. Cause obviously uh, he wasn't, I, he wasn't prepared to be the starter. Tyrod Taylor was a starter to start the year. And on top of that, you know, it, it was his rookie season. So I think, knowing that he'll be the starter with uh, and they'll get, you know, some pieces back like Derwin James, one of the better safeties in the league. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just think that, you know, in his second year, knowing that he's the starter with the normal off season, I think that he's going to be even better. Um, he's obviously got some good talent with, you know, Keenan Allen and uh, Austin Eckler around him. Hopefully they re-sign Hunter Henry, um, a good tight end. So I just think that they're going to benefit a lot, you know, with the, the, with the new head coach in there, Justin Herbert gets the full off season and they, they get some really good defensive uh, players, healthy back. Um, I, I just think that the Chargers are set up for a lot of success this year, and I, I think that they even have a chance to maybe uh, contend with the Chiefs for uh, the AFC West title. How insane is it to think that the trainer stabbing Terod Taylor in the chest and collapsing <laughs> his lung would launch the career of Justin Herbert, who probably, Sean, was destined to ride the pine this year? I mean, they, yeah. they they were pretty clear. The win was pretty clear that Tyrod Taylor was going to be the starter, and he won his first start. Don't forget that. They were 1-0 yeah. under Tyrod Taylor, and it was actually Justin Herbert, who, as you mentioned, obviously wasn't prepared at all and didn't have the luxury of a preseason chance to learn that offense or put it into any sort of practice to come out and play like he did. Kudos to him. I mean, that was absolutely magnificent. I, I hate to think what will happen, you know, with a healthy Chargers team and a whole full preseason to sort of get all the kinks worked out from the offseason. Yeah, it's going to be a really good team. Yeah, I mean, Justin Herbert came in and he took over for Tyrod Taylor's offense, I guess you could say. Then And he did great, one rookie of the year. But uh, and now he's got his own offense, got that time. I mean, I was going to say Justin Herbert. You stole that from me, Sean. You know who might have benefited the most from there not being a preseason is Tua Tagovailoa because I have a feeling if there would have been a preseason and he would have played, I think Fitzpatrick probably would have been the starter for the entire season. Maybe. I, I think if that. that kid re- was playing like he played for the most part in four preseason games, it would have been mostly in the second half, and he definitely would not have cracked that starting lineup. Well, I, I think I think Tua will also benefit from from the full offseason. He just will like, now, just like Andrew Thomas. Like yep. both of them got injured mid- middle of their their final year in college. They, they didn't finish off the season, and then they were came in. Put into these high pressure situations, to use the, the top picks were used on them, and they, they had to. They were forced in to perform, especially in this weird COVID year. So I, I, I think if the if the Dolphins do make a move like we talked about earlier and get Deshaun Watson, that's one thing. If not, if they keep Tua, I, I, I wouldn't be mad at them if they kept Tua. Because yeah, think listen, hold on. I, like, I want you to understand something. I like Tua a lot, and and what I mean I to say is, they they decided at four and four to put Tua into the starting lineup, and it was because of what he did in practice. Yeah, I mean, he was. They were so impressed with what he was doing in practice. Well, practice isn't a game setting; it's not even a preseason game setting. You know, um, and so I again, I think Tua would have been a little more exposed, and it might have been good for him. You know what I mean? To, to 
there's nothing worse. Uh, again, ask Justin Herbert, who, I mean, got off to a, 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 a one and seven start before he turned things around in, in San Diego and started getting those wins that I value so much on. You know, for Tua, again, same thing. They threw him into the fire. As good as Joe Burrow was, he was two, five, and one when he got hurt. That team wasn't. That team wasn't like on its way to a division title. So again, tap the brakes. I think all these young quarterbacks having a, a chance, and I and I include guys like like Daniel Jones in there. Those guys who uh, became starters at the end of the season before, uh, you know, who who started five, six, seven games, and and then were full time starters this year. That's that's tough. It's tough to. Um, it's a tough situation to walk into. I, you know, it, it shouldn't be. It's it's funny. Um, I I heard Mike Greenberg saying something that I said about a week ago. Um, it just even in terms of how the Super Bowl was about to play out. You look around at all of these sports this year in COVID twenty twenty. Alabama, the Lakers, the Dodgers, the Buccaneers, and Tom Brady. I mean, it's the best of the best. All, all, all the teams with the most elite players. You make the same argument about Alabama uh, in college football that the teams that are led by the great ones, you know, um, I think had a distinct advantage this year over everybody else. You know, same. Yeah. I mean, if you're LeBron James, right, it's business as usual. LeBron doesn't care if there's no fans, if there's masks, if there's no masks. You know, he, social justice, we're going to kneel before thing. He's still going to go out there and do his thing. It, it, yeah. He's amazing like that. A lot of other guys, those sorts of things can throw guys off very easily. You know, again, Tom Brady goes to Tampa. They're 7-5. and five. All right, let's get serious to go win a Super Bowl. And they go and they do that. You look at all the teams that struggled this year in college football, but Nick Saban's team with the great talent that they had went out there each and every week and business as usual. The teams that were able to have the Dodgers, again, outstanding uh, year by the L.A. Dodgers. Look at that team. It's loaded. So I, I think that there was a distinct advantage. I said this in the preseason that I thought New Orleans, the Green Bay, Kansas City, all the teams that were good last year were going to have a huge advantage over this season with no preseason, especially where the young quarterbacks, teams with new coaches, teams with new offensive coordinators. You could make that argument about Brady, but again, he's Tom Brady. He can do that. You can't. That's why he's Tom Brady. Yeah, I, I get that. And, um, I mean, I, I, I get that. It should be interesting. Uh, I'm excited to see these young up-and-comers finally get that. Uh, what's what's not what? true, Ovi? What's not true that I'm I sure. – I mean, the best of the best, yeah. But, uh, I, I mean – What a ridiculous <laughs> statement to make. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, uh, I mean, it, it should be interesting to see how this offseason plays out. I mean, we, we talk about all the movement being possible. Oh, it must have been something Jay said. <laughs> uh, sure, whatever. But, uh, all right, now, now let's get back on the Giants. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Giants. Hey, for me, a core that, that I think would have benefited – a lot from this offseason, having a real offseason, is the Giants' offensive line with all those rookies. 
Uh, Pert, obviously, I talked about Thomas, Lemieux. I, I think those guys getting more integrated, more familiar with the Zeitlers, the Hernandezes, the Gates, just, just getting to know one another. I, I think that will help a lot. But the, 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 that leads me to the my question to end the show. Who is the most underrated giant of all time? And that leads into my answer. The guard for the 07 and 2011 Giants, Chris Snee. He was the leader of that offensive line. Him, Deal, Sherbert, they were all beasts. He was a he, he, he was awesome. Every game he was in, he started or he was injured. Great, great guy. I mean, married Tom Coughlin's daughter. And then he got a job working for Tom Coughlin. We went to Jacksonville. This guy was the heart and soul of that offensive line. And everyone loves to talk about Michael Strahan, Eli Manning, Tiki Barber, Amadi Toomer, Plexico Burst, all these skill guys. But it was that line. You, you, the, the the David Tyree catch can't be made unless the, the they're blocking their guys. They're blocking the Vince Wolf, uh, They're blocking those Patriot uh, defensive linemen, and the these guys were solid. This is one of the most underrated offensive lines, I, I think, in history, because no one talks about them, and they are solid. A a solid core of Snee. Deal and Sherbert. I mean, they, they were the be- they were the best. I I love them. They're part of the reasons why I, I love the Giants so much. Growing up watching them. But Joe, who is the most underrated Giant of all time in your opinion? Bart Oates, former New York Giants center. He uh, led them to the '86 and the 1991 Super Bowl championships. Uh, and then went on and uh, I believe won another championship as the center uh, with the San Francisco 49ers. Um, th- that that Giants uh, offense was obviously really run heavy. Uh, they didn't turn the ball over a lot. Uh, you know, always, always really good exchanges. He was just an outstanding center. Uh, you know, he made a couple of pro bowls in his career. So um, I only say underrated because um, do you guys even know who I'm talking about? I'm, I'm going to be honest. I've never heard that name in my life. Yes! Oh, I know. Bardo! Watch. I, I know most old guys, but I, I can't say I know old, old Barty Oates. Yeah, Bart Oates, baby. He was great. Great, yeah. great center for the New York Giants. 6'4", 275. We lived in a different world. That's what an offensive lineman was back in the old days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, my my most underrated giant. Um, I mean, some names I thought about, which I I, I didn't put in mind because I didn't watch them play. But uh, Carl Banks, I think, deserves some uh, honor here because he's not a Hall of Famer, but he played uh, you know alongside some Hall of Famers like Harry Carson and obviously Lawrence Taylor. But I, I think that he should obviously be a Hall of Famer. He's you know one of the great linebackers of Giants history, and then also Mark Bavaro, I think, should be talked about. I you know he's one of the, the he's the best tight end in Giants history. And um, I think that he should be talked about a lot more. But my most underrated giant of all time that I, I actually saw with my own eyes is uh, OCU Manura. I think that, you know, when people talk about, you know, the great pass rush of the the two most recent Super Bowl teams, I think that, you know, obviously Strahan got a lot of love and, and Justin Tuck and JPP even. But I think OC is the one that doesn't get talked about enough. And I think that he was the best pure pass rusher 
out of um you know out of all of them he he was tremendous and he has one of the greatest performances in Giants history um in, in 2007 against the Eagles he recorded six sacks in one game which is still yeah it's second all time only behind the great Derek Thomas um but I, I mean just an absolute dominant performance um that I actually that it's one of my one of my first memories I remember watching um the Giants but I I just I, I loved OCU Manura and um. I think that he just deserves a lot more credit for, for what he did on these two Super Bowl teams. I mean, he, he finished just shy of 100 career sacks with 85, and he was also the strip sack king. Um, you know, coming around the edge, he always had a knack for the ball and, and getting it out of the quarterback's hands. He, he forced 35 fumbles in his career, which is, a, you know, a really high number. So I just think that O.C. deserves a lot more credit for what he did for these championship teams, and I'll, I'll always uh, admire number 72. Justin Tuck, Michael Strahan, uh, Matthias Kiwanuka. Jason Pierre-Paul, yeah. a lot of guys yeah. overshadowed him, Sean. That, that's for a big-name player and a pro bowler. OCU Minora, I 1,000% can get behind him being one of the most overrated Giants of all time. Another great one that you mentioned was Carl Banks. Carl Banks is the Scotty Pippen for Lawrence Taylor. When Carl Banks joined Lawrence Taylor, um, it, it was all over, man. And Leonard Marshall got up on that defense. Um, you know, which complimented uh, George Martin and Harry Carson. You know, when, once that whole team got together, they they had brought Jim Burt over. Um, yep. boy, that defense got really good, really fast. And and Carl Banks, boy, I'll tell you, if you think Lawrence Taylor was great, and again, for anybody who didn't get the pleasure of watching LT and the beast that he was, man, Carl Banks quietly was dominating on the other side. Uh, it, it was one of the great things to see. I'm going to disagree with one thing you said, and I don't mean this in a negative way. I love Mark Bavaro. Don't get me wrong. I think Mark Bavaro is one of the most overrated players of all time. Made oh. a couple of big play. Hold on. Made a couple big play uh, plays in, 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 uh, in the, in the Super Bowl in 86 in the playoffs to get there. But all in all, I mean, he was good. He's, he wasn't great. He was, I mean, he had that, again, I love Mark Bavaro. Please, nobody, nobody take this as, <laughs> but he wasn't, he really wasn't, his toughness uh, incomparable. I, not another guy in the league would, would, would carry four or five guys on his back the way Bavaro does. Um, but he definitely could have been better. You know what I mean? I, I think he's got like, legend status in in most giants fans heads and i think if you flip the football card over i think you'd be like really that's it um a great player an impact guy in big moments he was putting it like this he was clutch when you needed a big play you needed a completion you threw it to mark bavaro you needed a first down on on third and 12 get it to him except for that one time they threw it to bobby johnson otherwise it was always to bavaro but week in and week out, he definitely, um, I, again, I feel bad saying it, but he was a little on the overrated side. Uh, yeah, I think I just acquitted, you know, the, the blocking part into it, too, because I, I think he was just such a monster. And obviously, you know, you had I, I wasn't uh, born back then, so I didn't watch. So I the only thing I have is the stats and just watching some of the highlights. So just from the highlights that I've seen of Mark Bavar, I, I think that obviously you see all those great plays and obviously the uh, – uh, excuse me. 
Uh, but the Niners game or the get the play against the Niners where he's carrying, you know, six, literally six players on his back, including the great Ronnie Law. I think that's one play that comes to mind. That's that's probably why. But I mean, I, I'll take your word for it because you you had the benefit of actually watching him. And I I've, I only get to watch, you know, highlights and stuff of him. He had one 1986, 66 catches, a thousand one yards. All the rest of his his seasons, you're talking anywhere from about 22 to 55 catches. Um, again, if you want to talk about in terms of his, I mean, may, you know what, Sean, maybe he's overrated in terms of his impact on the offense. Again, he scored uh, eight touchdowns in 87, which was a great year for him, but generally he's a scored three, four, five touchdowns a year, but they always happen to be in big moments in big games. And again, he's got, he's got this cult status and deserved because of his, his performance in the postseason alone would would solidify it kind of like Andy Pettit if I can use a make a Yankee analogy like a really a, a really good regular season guy in the postseason just on another level when it really mattered just on another level altogether could just kind of buckle down and 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 it was lights out um so yeah the, but again, the, see again, it's hard to say. It's hard to say, Sean, because it was a different. It was a different game back then. I was the yeah, Giants. I mean, the tight ends aren't what they are rather, now. No, but again, I mean, dude, at the time there weren't a lot of tight. There was never a tight end like Mark Bavaro before. There, there really weren't pass catching tight ends. Um, maybe uh, Kellen Winslow, uh, the father. Is that his name? Yeah, Kellen yeah, Winslow yeah. Senior. Uh, yeah. Ozzie Newsome. Um, you could go around the league. There was. Brent Jones, Jay Novacek, and now you're getting into the 90s even. There weren't a ton of great tight ends that could catch the ball and block. Bovara was one of the first guys where you wouldn't have Travis Kelsey and Greg Kittle if it wasn't for Mark Bovaro. So Not exactly so LP yeah. status, but yeah. So maybe he is underrated, so Sean. Underrated I don't know. <laughs> he's a, he's underrated in some ways, but overrated in others. Does that make sense? I, Probably yeah. not. That's fine. <laughs> I love right. Mark Bavaro. He's one of my favorite players. His nickname was Rambo because he did bear a striking resemblance uh, to uh, Rambo. Like uh, yeah, you know, big time, big time. And I'll tell you what, dude. Um, he picked Phil McConkie up after Phil McConkie scored uh, a touchdown on a deflection. And I mean, one of the greatest moments in Giants history. Uh, loved Bavaro, that that whole team, man. They were they were so blue collar. That's what made people love them. And again, Mark Bavaro just seemed like the hardest working guy. You couldn't tackle him. He was a great blocker, did everything that you would want a guy to do. Again, that's why the cult status, and that's why, again, I say a little overrated in terms of that, but in other ways, quite underrated. Yeah, it's too bad you're, you're a Mark Bavaro hater, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, kidding, I'm kidding. I'm pretty sure I have an 89 jersey somewhere. I'll, I'll have to dig that bad boy out. Oh, <laughs> uh, Awesome. And, I mean, this is what we can expect from the offseason, talking about old-school old Giants football bringing up a little glimpses from the past. And we'll obviously talk about news as it comes out. But that will be it for John about the G-Man. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. For myself, Big Jace, Joe Aguirre, and Sean Scanlon. Thank you guys. John about the G-Man is a Clovercrest Media Group podcast. Make sure you go to clovercrestmedia.com to check out one of the multiple other podcasts that we have there. 
along with, I mean, not just sports. Uh, I mean, true crime, political, anything you want, travel. Go to clovercrestmedia.com to get all your podcast needs. And if there isn't one you don't like, you can make your own. So clovercrestmedia.com. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening. And we will see you next week for more Drawing About the G-Men. Take care.